Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be uh, a great hour. Like I say, I think I say that every hour. I'm repetitive at times. I know that. So sorry. <laughs> Martin Luther said, you know, someone asked him, uh, why do you preach justification every week? And he said, my people leak. So yeah. thank you for being repetitive. Yeah, I like That's it. helping. Yes. Doing something over and over is the key to repetition. Think about that, David Miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that works, know, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, and, I mean, like um, in athletics and stuff. I mean, you're you're doing things again and again and again, and actually in a number of different things, and you develop what's called muscle memory, mm-hmm. where your muscle starts to do it. Um, you know, I was talking with our our students last week, and I talk about this thing called use um, use UI CI CC, and then UC. And so, lost me. All right. Oh my God. So, UI is unconscious incompetence, meaning you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so, you know, a baby doesn't know how to drive a stick shift, you know, on on a car. I mean, they don't know that they don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm not going to argue that point. Right. But a teenager, when they're trying to learn to drive, they become CC, conscious competence, or conscious incompetence, where they begin to understand, I don't quite know what I'm doing. You know, and there's plenty of grips and fingernails and different parts of the car from parents having done that. And then you move to um, CC, conscious competence. Mm-hmm. You slowly start to to learn things. And then you move to unconscious competence. Mm-hmm. Where Bill, how often when you get up in the morning and hop in the car, do you think through all the steps of... Of driving? Yeah. You don't think of at, at all. Right. Yeah. And And that's something that we are continually going through it's it's so so the brain surgeon he didn't just start that way mm-hmm. you know the heart surgeon she didn't start that way that the the tax specialist you know, she, he didn't start doing that just through starting at a place of not knowing and moving through so so maybe have grace with ourselves sometime i know because once you reach a point where what you do is pretty much second nature and you're not thinking about it, that's when people usually pay a lot of money to watch you do it. Yeah. Is that that, um, I think... Like uh, a musician who on stage performing yep. and they're, you know, they can be doing their their amazing work and not really thinking about it. I'm trying to remember, I think it's James Clear's his name, and he talks a little bit about that in the book Atomic Habits. And, you know, they get at the point of, you know, how we how we make these these habits but he's actually saying that making small changes um so one of the things is just having care to continue to be in god's word and allow that to filter Mm -hmm. and to um lead your thinking i mean like when i drove over here and i was talking with my son Jaden about this uh yesterday about you know you don't not being perfect and i said you know Jaden, when i'm driving if i were just to hold my arm on the steering wheel and not move it at all it's going to be a crash. Mm-hmm. 
And but I have to constantly make slight adjustments and slight turns. And so um, that's why, you know, Bill, we we want to encourage people and um, with Rosie as well, that your walk with Jesus is a daily thing. It's not like Sunday and then let's go through the week with our arms stiff just here. You need the Lord's direction. You need his guidance. You need um, you need him, the hymn that we used to say, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. I mean, like, we need to be reminded of that repeatedly. And David, you were in traffic getting over here and was listening to the show with Dr. Uh, Tim Tennant, who I just had on previous, and he, he said something so amazing about just the, the, the sacred... Uh, giving of yourself an everyday menial little task and duties. That's another way of dying to yourself. Yeah. And, um, you know, Bill, one of the things in our culture, um, and we talk about this as well, is that there's this thing called individualism, you know, that became out with, you guys mentioned the Enlightenment and even the Reformation, um, scientific inquiry and then urbanization. And our culture um, incessantly preaches to us, one, scarcity, fear, and that it's, it's all about us, you know. So you deserve a break today. Mm-hmm. You know, Burger King, you can have it your way. L'Oreal, because I'm worth it. And, you know, right now we're sitting in the studio and we're both looking, you know, at our MacBook. But, you know, there's an iMac and an iPod and an iPad and a iPhone and all of them start with I yeah so then this part of dying to ourselves sometimes can be a wrestle and and the flesh will want to kick back against that and that's our submitting to the Lord and asking Christ to live and love and to care and to listen through us because when we say like I can't do it you're right I mean like one of the things that's kind of crazy is that we actually think we can do the Christian life apart from Christ in the first place. And when we were talking last hour too, David, I know you've got some thoughts on this because uh, Tim was saying that we are we are little mission temples uh, serving the Lord. And so it, it was such a positive uh, view. Let me see if I can get it correct. Our bodies are mobile temples with a missional presence in the world. Uh, amazingly confident and positive thought of our bodies. Yeah. To be um, mobile temples with a missional presence. That That is huge. I mean, it's it's also an idea, the idea of not just having orthodoxy, right? Orthodoxy, which mm-hmm. is right, right belief and doctrine, but right orthopraxy as well, you know? And uh, one of the things that Dr. King had said he said there was a time when the church was very powerful in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believe. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principle of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. But the judgment of God is upon the church today as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit, that's what you're talking about, that sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of million, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning in the 20th century. So that's King talking 50-some years ago. And so there's this, there's this beauty of when our life, our practice, matches our profession, uh, our profession, profession. I think I, nah, 
I kind of messed that. No, you didn't. I think you did a great job. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic recovery. (laughs) Or as some people say, the the neat thing, even like of a Mother Teresa, she she walked the walk and talked the talk. Actually, she talked less and walked more. Mm -hmm. So, and I think the world is looking for that. They're looking for that authentic witness and that we don't have this... um, dichotomization of us, this mm-hmm. kind of splitting uh, apart that that God truly desires for us to walk in community. Mm-hmm. But David Miles, if we are mobile temples with the missional presence, we are needing to rid ourselves of some of the the brokenness that's associated with our reflection in the world, how we see ourselves relative to what the media says, what we see in the mirror, those are things that we need to let go of as best we can. Yeah. Not going to happen overnight, but... Yeah, allowing... Let's, let's be purposeful, right? Yeah, allowing God to filter our thought. And for those who are with us the last couple of weeks, that's that's one of the things that we got into conversation about what the Father says to Jesus at his baptism. You know, this is my son whom I love. Mm-hmm. With him I'm well pleased, settling the question of identity, of security, and of value and how when those things get skewed off to another place, we find ourselves wanting to, as chapter four show, satisfy ourselves with personal comfort, personal popularity, and personal power and possessions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, those are the pull. And then, you know, verse 11 of chapter four, Matthew says that the devil says to Jesus, all these things I'll give you if you would but fall down and worship me. And the question that we all have to to answer is, what is the all of these for us? That's a good question. Don't make me think too hard. <laughs> don't don't hurt yourself there. I'll try you not just, to. You just hit something with your head. I, I did hit something. Yeah, I'll call a paramedic. No, we don't need one, do we? Um, no. Okay, good. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's big stuff. You know, when Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism, and and the the, the heavens open and the voice of God, this is my son whom, I'm, whom, whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. And then he was led into the desert to be, I mean, into the wilderness to be tempted. Yeah. And, and, and Bill, one of the things that we have um, to be mindful or, or attentive to is that Scripture talks about in Ephesians 2 of how we've been united with Christ. And, you know, when we, when we tend to forget that, um, that just really, it, it throws us into a whole, um, it throws us just into a whirlwind of things that we find ourselves wanting to get attached to. Mm-hmm. That's so true, David. Yeah. Let me take a little break. This is the Monday afternoon mix, a little later than usual today. Pastor David Miles is my guest. We'll be right back. We missed him today. 
And that's the Monday afternoon mix, a little later than usual. Pastor David Miles is here. Yeah, we're Pastor rolling. Pastor at New Hope Church in New Hope, Minnesota, and also adjunct professor right here at the University of Northwestern. 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 But I'd say that if anything's of importance, it would be my wife, Tammy, my four kiddos, but more important, Jesus, what he's done to me. Amen. So. All right, last, because uh, you heard this interview because you were driving in traffic, stuck, trying to get here, and, and you heard us talking with Dr. Tim Tennant about the, the daily tasks and duties of life serve as sacramental markers of God's presence embodied in the whole of life. So in other words, the little daily menial activities that you find yourself doing that you sometimes feel frustrated about really are serving as sacramental markers of God's presence. And if you treat everything you do as an act of worship to God, you might feel a little bit more encouraged. And scripture speaks to this, Bill. I mean, we have, you know, the Westminster Catechism, which is the chieftain of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, which is really well rooted in 1 Corinthians 10.31. And then Paul also talks to the Colossian church and says, you know, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus you know, giving thanks to the Father through him. And there was that one saint, that praying saint, Brother Lawrence, mm-hmm. you know, and how he, he sought to practice the presence of God um, of with him throughout the day. So whether washing dishes or, or, you know, gardening or resting or at work or at play, just constantly wanting to have the presence of God and letting Christ saturate his life, which he... You know, he should. I mean, like, we are, our, our, our desire is to say yes, Lord, and be fully surrendered to him. I like that. And that is uh, a good reminder. If you have a number of menial tasks that you feel have, are menial, they're not. They're reflections of, of God's presence embodied in what you're doing, what you did today. If you did five loads of laundry and change 17 diapers and you feel a little out of your mind today, you are giving sacramentally and serving the Lord in a powerful way. Yeah. That's deep, man. Well, I'm, you know, I've, I've sometimes see people doing jobs and they've got this incredibly wonderful attitude. And I, I think that's a pretty good attitude you have given the job you're doing. And then I realize you can bring dignity to any job you do and you should. Because if you treat anything you do work-wise as an act of worship to God, and it's him that you're trying to please first and foremost, you might have a different attitude about it. And we have those various places, Bill, that the Lord, you know, he puts us in today and and calls us, and he calls us to stand and to to do the small things. You know, to, to my, my wife Tammy will say, you know, it's sometimes it's, it's the details, you know, it's the small things mm. um, that matter. And I mean, like, you can smile at someone and, and bless their day. <laughs> well, that's it's true. Pretty hard to now. Oh, man. See? Oh, wow. There's been a big disconnect uh, with COVID. I mean, there's, there's just fewer opportunities for pleasantries, connections smiles. I mean, you can smile with your eyes, but it's not the same. Yeah. And I think you hit upon something too. The connection part 
is when there's when when we're separated, and that's one of the problems with kind of with social media, is because people aren't in front of the person. I call it keyboard courage. Mm-hmm. You know, back that's well said. Back in college, you know, like uh, someone could be doing something, there, like, what happened? Well, so and so got in a fight. What happened? Well, this person had, you know, liquid courage. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, well, you just, you know gotten a tussle with the NCAA All-American heavyweight. That, yeah. that wasn't a wise move. That was, that was not wise at all. <laughs> you know, and so I think with people in front of us that we would say things differently, do things differently because there's a degree of of empathy, of, of seeing their humanness. And and when it's not, that's that's of great concern. And the ramifications of that are, are profound. I agree. And I think there's um, less and less kindness. And we want to talk about kindness coming up here in the next couple of months. We want to encourage acts of kindness because it really does make a big difference in the world. It, it does. And uh, right now, as um, our students are, we're, we're doing a class um, on Christianity and culture. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had the Holocaust Remembrance Day. And uh, one of the things that happened was um, there was an American-born eugenist named Madison Grant. He wrote the book, The Passing of a Great Race. Eugenics has been debunked. Um, It actually was Hitler's Bible. But there was a term that one of the books that were made, it might actually be Lothrop Stoddard, but there was a book where they used the word undermension, which actually meant underman or subhuman. And so that was what kind of got put upon... um, upon the Jewish people. And, uh, you know, people did not see them. And, and, and the results of that were catastrophic. And, you know, here as we're in Black History Month, um, you know, that I'm sitting here um, with you, Bill, it, it's really just, a, it's a testimony to, to God's power working through small, menial things that people did because people were on the margins. And there was a period of time in the church where, um, People did not want slaves to become free because if they became free, uh, they would actually have equal standing and citizenship uh, with them. So what happened is then they passed laws to say uh, the body and the soul were separate from one another. And so we're still dealing with some of the ramifications of that today because people will begin to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a whole person. You know, whole person. I'm, I'm this and that, and so we start getting all these various assignments that come to it. And so, the beauty that Jesus wants to show is um, in His body, and He made us a body to love well and to be a walking, talking, breathing example of the transformative love of Christ. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, touch on Romans. 12.2, David, I know you got your, your Bible handy, and I want to talk about this relative to everything we've discussed today, because as we've talked about um, rethinking how you see your, your body and seeing yourself as a, a, a mission temple, um, how important it is to be reminded, as it says, Paul says in Romans 12, I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Amen. Comments on that? Well, besides this wonderful sound of pages of Scripture. I love that. That's of, one of my favorites. Of, of turning, favorite which pages. actually is part of chapter 12, verse 2, about not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And our mind is renewed by God's Word that's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the soul and son, is it, it, the soul and soul and spirit asunder, um, that God's Word is truth, you know, that God's Word is a light unto us. And we, we need that in having a proper understanding of who we are, you know, have a proper understanding of who we are and whose we are, and even more importantly, who He is. Mm-hmm. Um, it was A.W. Tozer says that what we think about God is the most important thing, that worship is either exalted or based on how we entertain thoughts about God, you know? And so when we allow this as our form of spiritual worship, and and there's spiritual worship to present our physical body as well, um, you know, when we, we see that through the lens of Christ and Christ being formed in us, Romans uh, 8.29, um, Colossians 1.27 uh, has this beautiful beautiful saying that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. I mean, so these, these um, transferable things are, are uh, from are this transforming work of God in our life is so needed. Because if we stop, Bill, think right just for a moment, even as you're driving, of whatever kind of life disaster thing where a person's blown up life and, and things, not all things, but you eventually go back to a point where we believe a lie that, that you're not lovable mm-hmm. or yeah. you're you're not worth it or that you are moo and goo and you Stop can find your you can find your neighbors at the zoo you know <laughs> <laughs> so that type yeah. of thing instead of that you're a once in eternity creation that God made wonderful and fearfully handcrafted by the creator who are one of a kind created with a purpose made in his image you are a mobile temple with a missional presence in the world amen amen to that david thanks for the little adjustment on the schedule today no problem it's been good it has been good it's it's always good i mean like good it's grace that we get to to do this amen amen All right. Pastor David Miles has been my guest for the Monday Afternoon Mix. Here's what we got coming up next. When anxiety strikes, help and hope for managing your storm. And if you've got one, you're not going to want to go anywhere. My guest will be Jason and Dina Hobbs. They've written a new book called When Anxiety Strikes. We'll be right back.
many times does it say fear not in the Bible? I think like 365. So how can we find peace in the world where anything and everything can happen? And often it does, and often it goes wrong. And that creates all kinds of anxiety. And there has been a time in this world in the last year that I think people have had their foot on the gas when it comes to anxiety. It has been a a big issue for a lot of people. My heart goes out for those who are really suffering with anxiety. And when it strikes, it's very difficult. And we're going to talk today to Jason and Dina Hobbs. They've written a book called When Anxiety Strikes, Help and Hope for Managing Your Storm. Jason, welcome. It's good to be with you, Bill. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. I don't know if we've got uh, your wife yet, but I think she's going to be joining us soon. But uh, Bill, glad to be here. Hey, Dina, there you are. Nice to have both of you on the line. Oops, I think we lost one of you, but uh, I got a big dial nope, phone. My... Yeah, there we go. Nice to have you back. I don't know if, if we lost Dina or not, but... Uh, I'm here. Terrific. Thank you for both being on the show. Let's talk about this new book, When Anxiety Strikes. Um it's a big topic. It's a big issue these days. Um, yes. Yeah. Why Why is this important to you, too? Well, it's important to us in part because it's part of our story. Um, there's a way in which we have walked through some of this in our own personal lives. And um, and with Dina, someone that has, has worked through her own anxiety, and, and for me as a therapist, who work with a lot of people that have anxiety disorders. So it was an important topic for us. Can you share some of that journey? Um, Sure. When I was uh, 24 years old, um, I took a trip um, to another country where I had to take lyrium. And uh, that is a medicine that if you have any propensity for anxiety, it, um, it sent me right into panic attacks. So I was diagnosed with a pretty bad case of panic disorder. Um, I was lucky that I got um, medical help and therapy and all kinds of support for my community. Um, and after about a year of healing from that episode, um, I just started an up and down journey with anxiety in my life where I learned um, what works for my body and my mind and in my spirit and what doesn't. Um, so that's uh, my story. Um, Jason, I believe you were in a social work school when I was first diagnosed with anxiety. Yeah, Dina and I were both um, in seminary at the time, and I was also doing a dual degree program where I would get a Master of Divinity, but also a Master of Social Work, and within the social work component at the time, sitting in a class where we're talking about diagnostics, in other words, like, you know, how do you figure out what is anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, and um, and this started happening. So we got, um, in some ways, a real-world sort of experience of of this in real time. Mm-hmm. In the book, you have uh, eight different themes, which I find fascinating. Breath, body, movement, mind, change, spirit, community, and commissioning. Maybe you could chat a yes. couple about a couple of those themes. Yeah, we. one of the things that we realized pretty early on, there's a way in which, especially for those of us who are people of faith, there's that element of, well, let's just pray this and or pray through this or pray it away in some form or fashion. And that didn't tend to work. I mean, people who are good people of faith still have anxiety and worry. And one of the things that, you know, for me as a clinician, we start in the body because anxiety is very much a body event. 
I mean, is the way in which our sympathetic nervous system, you know, gets set off into that kind of fight or flight response. And really, until you get that response calmed, you're not going to get a handle on the places that anxiety works in the mind and in the spirit. So it's why we start in the breath and in the body and in movement, because these things are very helpful to get that, that physical reaction calmed so that we can then work on the other pieces too. It's amazing just the difference that makes. I don't know if you've got one of those breathing apps on your phone. It'll remind you, you know, a couple times a day to take three minutes to breathe. And it really does make a difference. Oh, yeah. I start my day with some stretches, even in bed. Like before I get out of bed, I do a couple minutes of deep breathing and and some stretching. And uh, I end my night with some deep breathing. And I have the Calm app as well. And it makes a world of difference. Yeah, if you if you're struggling with anxiety at all, you know, yeah, learn the deep breathing techniques. Yeah. Um, it it makes a huge difference you know, to relax the body. Yeah, and our bodies are are so designed to move. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean that's kind of a no brainer, but do talk about that a little yeah. bit. Well, even when you talk about that fight or flight response, I mean, your body is gearing up because it feels like there is a threat coming at you. And so your heart rate increases, your muscles tighten, your breathing changes to that sort of short and shallow breath. And instead of the long, deep, slow breaths of relaxation, short and shallow is giving you more oxygen so you can fight or run. Mm -hmm. Now, movement comes in because it's like, okay, well, if my body is already turned up to about a five or a seven... (laughs) I need to do something to discharge some of that. Um, and so getting out and, and even going for a walk or a run or a bike ride or whatever it is that you're able to do, um, that's a good way of getting some of that anxious energy out and, mm-hmm. and really relieving some of those stress hormones as well. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about us, uh, community. How does that factor in? Oh, I'll take this one. Anxiety can have such a stigma around it, and people can be so ashamed that they're struggling with fear and panic and anxiety, Um, but that really only makes it worse when you isolate yourself. That really only ratchets everything up. So when you can find the first one or two people that you feel comfortable and safe sharing your struggle with, and you can call them to pray for you or to sit with you when you're having a hard day, And then, you know, when you find support, like the church community we go to now, you know, I, you know, will often text my pastor, hey, this has happened and this has happened and, you know, please pray for me. When you feel like you have a net under you that is helping to hold you, it just makes a world of difference in overcoming anything. I mean, anyone who's been through a period of illness or difficulty knows that, but anxiety is no different. You know, we need our friends, we need our church, we need our family to support us. Mm -hmm. One of the themes, Jason and Dina, that I didn't quite understand was the commissioning. Would you describe the commissioning step and what it means? Uh, You know, part of that is that when we got toward the end, we originally designed this as an eight-week class, and a lot of what you experience in moving through a class like this is some of that stigma related to mental illness. Um, And so a lot of the commissioning was, was kind of a go out and tell that this this is your experience, so there is hope, that there is healing. And the more we tell our stories, the less stigma has a chance to stay around. Mm -hmm. Because then, you know, it's not, 
it doesn't become something that, you know, you maybe heard about on television or you heard about uh, this one time on the radio. It's, oh, wait, there are a lot of people out here that have been diagnosed with anxiety disorders, depressive disorders, and other things as well. I love how um, Henry Nowen talks about that we can be wounded healers. And when you take the hard parts of your story and you use that to help someone else, I mean, Jesus redeems that for you. It, it just uh, – your struggles take on a new light when you're able to take your own experiences and share them with other people to help them. So I think that's part of what we were thinking about in the commissioning. Yeah. Now you go out and help someone else with what you've learned. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to say that a lot of Christians still suffer some shame for having anxiety? I mean, we always think of Paul and Philippians, don't worry about anything, but in all your prayers, right. ask God for what you need. And then we do that. And then we still feel anxious and we have anxiety. So if we're still feeling shamed about that, do you address that in this book? Well, in in talking about stigma and in the book, you know, there is a way in which mental illnesses in particular are not visible. Like we wouldn't shame someone that maybe had something that, you know, they were using a a wheelchair or a pair of crutches or or maybe even somebody that had diabetes that you knew was insulin dependent. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a way in which we do not treat some of these, quote, physical illnesses in the same way that we do with mental illness. But I, you know, as a clinician, I'll absolutely tell you that there are areas of the brain that become disordered and, and disordered in similar ways. I mean, you know, diabetes is an issue with your pancreas and the endocrine system, mm-hmm. but, uh, but mental illnesses are disorders of the brain. Mm-hmm. How would we identify or how would we go about identifying like a negative, a core negative thought that we have? Mm. Um, So first you have to start paying attention to your thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So many uh, messages go through our head all day long and we're just on autopilot and we're not paying attention to them. So some of that is just slowing down and listening to your own thoughts and learning to be mindful of what's running through your brain. And then when you begin to hear some of those, mine is, uh, you're such a failure. When you begin to hear some of those messages roll through your brain over and over and over, and they just don't really make sense, like they just don't really add up, um, like, okay, forgetting to mail a piece of a mail is not a failure. That's a mistake. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when you like start to question those thoughts, you're like, yeah, maybe this is not true. Maybe this is stemming from something else. That's when you can begin to say, okay, I've got an issue here. And that's also where therapy can come in. It's like, why do you, you know, what led you to believe you're a failure? And that would be a whole, you know, bunny trail. You had to go down for a while. So we could just begin to identify those thoughts and then question them. Is that really true? You know, God says that I am beautifully and wonderfully made. And uh, when you can counteract those thoughts, it begins to really help you turn yourself around. Yeah, a lot of that does have to do with seeing seeing yourself through those eyes of grace, which is how God sees us. Um, I would add that, you know, especially with anxiety, a lot of the thinking is oriented toward the future. It's very what if oriented. And, and once you start going up what I often refer to as the what if ladder, I mean, you can get up in the stratosphere mm-hmm. and, 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 oh, it, and there's, the there are rational steps to get there. But boy, you are so far out there that it's like, okay, this is not going to happen, but I am feeling as if it's happening. <laughs> and that's often where, you know, you kind of get that kicking up of the fight or flight response um, just by thinking about it. 
Mm-hmm. How do we take steps and at the end feel like we've had a successful change or a transformation? I know that's kind of a loaded question. Mm-hmm. I would say start with small steps. Um, as with anything, start with repeated, habitual, small steps. Um, For me recently, that's been taking a walk every day. Uh, That's how I've gotten through the pandemic. You know, I've taken a walk every day and just getting out in um, the world and hearing the birds and seeing my neighbor's cats. Um, That can bring me back from, like Jason's talking about, that catastrophic what if thinking I might be having. Um, Jace, what are some of the other things you would recommend? Well, the other thing that brings to mind is there there was some research several years ago from these people that looked at how change happens, and it doesn't tend to be this kind of straight line. There's often a kind of spiraling around the line. So so change is movement, and, and it's occurring, and you're heading in the right direction, but there are often times when we're succeeding, and then we have a small failure. Now, the small failure doesn't drop us all the way down to the beginning. Mm-hmm. But relapse is a part of recovery, and that's been important in the substance abuse community, certainly, but, but important thinking in terms of mental illness recovery as well, that you're going to have times where the anxiety pops back up. But those are the times when, again, you approach that with grace and with curiosity to an extent and say, well, you know, I wonder what happened this time. I wonder how I can learn from this and begin to move toward that, that direction I was heading in in the first place. Mm-hmm. So a, a, a simple plan could be to have some action and then yeah. risk failing, which is okay, and then try again. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, which is which is a lot of, um, you know, you'll hear people talk sometimes about resilient thinking, and mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's the branch that doesn't break but bends, and knowing that bending is, you know, that's going to happen, and we kind of bounce back, and we say, all right, well, what do I learn from this? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is God maybe even trying to teach me out of this experience that's different from when I started? Yeah, he always wants to teach us something, doesn't he? <laughs> right. Yes, we don't always listen. But no, yeah. we don't always listen. We're always, <laughs> we're always trying to learn something, though. Let me take a short break. Um, Jason yeah. and Dina Hobbs are my guests. They've written a book called When Anxiety Strikes, Help and Hope for Managing Your Storm. Be right back. are my guests. They've written a book called When Anxiety Strikes, Help and Hope for Managing Your Storm. All right, let's talk about the biggie out there, which is who's really in control? Is it me <laughs> or is it God? You guys well, have a short answer to that question. <laughs> I'll hang up and listen. Okay. We want to be in control. <laughs> oh, do we ever. More often than not, we're, we are not in control. And that is so hard for us as human beings, isn't it? But that's got to be driving oh, anxiety, goodness. doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And in times like these where, where we feel out of control, where we feel the chaos around us, when the illusion of control is broken, I think that's really hard um, for folks. Um you know, if we can pretend we have it all together, you know, there's some uh, comfort in that. But when, but when that illusion.
foundation is broken, man, it, it brings us to our knees. And that's not entirely a bad thing. Uh, maybe that's sometimes where we need to be. But, yeah, learning to trust God to be in control is a huge spiritual theme mm. that runs through how to heal your anxiety. And uh, not not always easy, but always worth it. You want to say anything more about that, Jace? Well, I, I keep thinking I, one of my new favorite words is doom scrolling, um, and, and in, and which is, you know, that phenomenon where you're sitting there on your phone and you're just kind of going through all the news articles over and over again thinking, you know, you're going to find something that gives you the answer. <laughs> and, you know, there, there is just this way in which even intellectually, if we can – you know, read the right thing or have the right news article or, you know, there's there's something that feels like control to that, even though that's not even control. Um, like ultimately we're reading about events that are beyond our control, which, again, is where you step back and you're like, all right, let me take that long, slow, deep breath. And, you know, remember the breath that moved across the waters of creation. Remember mm-hmm. the breath that, you know, is part of of my spirit and God's spirit and God's spirit indwelling me and just kind of go back to that and say, okay, this is who's in control. And it's not me. (laughs) All right. Your book, When Anxiety Strikes, is kind of this cool interactive guide. So tell me about this format and how you think it will help people work through some of their anxiety. Well, one thing we really wanted people to do is actually practice the exercises that we have seen help people have healing in their life. So every day we start with a scripture and we start with a story or a meditation on the scripture, but there's always something that you're going to do every day, whether that's practice breathing or take a walk or dance or um, sing. You are going to be trying out different experiences that are going to help you manage anxiety in your life. Because we may not entirely get rid of it altogether. It comes and goes, but we can learn how to manage it. And the other thing Jason did a great job with was writing the reflection questions at the end of each day to really get you thinking about, okay, where is this coming from? How can I help this get better? So we really kind of wanted to come at it from all the different angles and have it be a very interactive experience which actually a lot of people have been doing together as families or friends or church groups because, uh, you know, when you're practicing things and when you're, you're answering questions, it's even more fun to see what other people's experiences are in addition to your own. Yeah, no kidding. Jason? Well, I was going to say, uh, when we originally wrote the book, it was in the context, uh, in, excuse me, in the context of creating an eight-week class. So we, you know, in some sense kind of beta tested this with people and, you know, we're learning about their experiences with the exercises. And it and it helped us, you know, when it came time to write the book, to have it be a much, much better book um, just because and that's and that's where, you know, you talk about community as we did in the beginning. It's where you rely on that greater cloud of witnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people that, that, that in some sense were a part of this, too, and, and helped us in that process. But as as far as, you know, the steps of, you know, breath to body to movement to mind to spirit, we did want each day to correspond with one of those so that you would get this little taste. And it would kind of circle around over and over again so that the the experience of these exercises and the experience of the readings would kind of build on itself till till you get to the end. Mm-hmm. Do you have uh, an exercise or a piece of scripture that has really uh, given you a a better, greater sense of peace 
as you're dealing with anxiety? Um, two that come to my mind are, I know the plans I have for you mm-hmm. for, um, for a future and for hope and for good from Jeremiah. And also the uh, Isaiah, you know, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. Um, the flames shall not burn you. You know, we will go through hard times, but we're not alone. And just that knowledge that God is with us and that Jesus is holding our hand, um, that makes uh, the impossible possible when we know that we're not alone in our difficulties, whether that be anxiety or a difficulty of another strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the the birth of the book, um, our original title and the original title of the class was Calming the Storm. And and we really seeded a lot of it in that in those stories of Jesus calming the wind and the waves. And so, you know, for me, narrative is really important. And so just kind of like allowing yourself to sink into that story. And then at the end, Jesus says, you know, why were you afraid? Now, so many times, and, and this is where I had to kind of uh, challenge my own thinking and, and where Dina challenged some of my thinking, so many times that sounds very judgmental. It's like, well, why were you afraid, you know, and as if there's some judgment, some criticism there. But Jesus was always coming at us with grace. And so what happens when we hear that through that lens, it says, oh, why were you afraid? And it, you know, it's almost that sound of a parent who, you know, the child is afraid because they got separated and you go and you run and you grab that kid and, and you pull them close to you and you pat them on the back. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Why were you afraid? Why were you afraid? I'm going to be here with you. Mm-hmm. Jason and Dina, I know there's a lot of listeners that probably have some anxiety on their plate. Um, maybe you could just give some encouraging words as to uh, how when anxiety strikes can give them hope. Um, The first thing I would say is it can get better. You know, this is not something that has to debilitate and cripple your life forever. If you reach out and, um, like I said, find a a couple of trusted people to help you through, whether that be your pastor or a family member or a therapist, um, and you start learning how to do some of these practices, anxiety can get so much better. So if you're struggling right now, there is healing and there is... um, a more joyful, abundant life waiting for you. And Jason, any thoughts? Well, what I would go to is starting in that place of calming the body, Mm -hmm. learning how to do those deep, slow breaths, learning how movement can be really important, um, and learning that that is often, because anxiety is such a body event, that's often the first place we have to start is to get the body soothed. It's almost like you're communicating to the body, hey, I'm going to take this slow, deep breath because this situation is calm. And so I'm going to communicate with the body that way. Um, I, I work with a lot of children and adolescents, and so sometimes we talk about the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain. And the downstairs brain is that sympathetic nervous system, and that's what you're communicating with. You're saying, hey, it's okay. Let me take this long, slow breath. And then we can work on those thoughts. Yeah, really smart. All right, we just got about a minute left. So you guys wrote this book together. So was there any anxiety getting that, getting this done? <laughs> yeah, sometimes people start with that question. Okay. <laughs> no, it was it was a blast. I, you know, in a way, um, 
Dina and I come at this with some very different gifts, and so it's just a joy to work with her um, through that. And yeah, it's it's been a neat process. Now I'll let Dina answer. <laughs> I, I, would, I would say the same thing, I, I, and I attribute that a lot to the Holy Spirit helping us. That we didn't fight a lot while we were writing. We had the same mind. And we brought sort of our two sides of the story together. But I would say I just grew so much in respect and admiration for Jason and his work, Sweet. both when we were writing the book and while we were doing the initial uh, classes together. Just to see him in action, it really um, it, it gave me a, a new appreciation for the man I love. So and it's, it's a good experience. And it's so nice to end on a love note just one day after Valentine's Day. Yeah. Very sweet. Thank you so much for taking yeah. the time to do the show. Congratulations on the book. Thank you, Bill. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Jason and Dina Hobbs have been my guests. Their book is When Anxiety Strikes, Help and Hope for Managing Your Storm. That wraps up our show for the day. I have loved being with you. Thanks to Dr. Tennant and David Miles and the Hobbs for making the show so wonderful. I hope you have a great night. Stay warm. It's going to be awfully chilly here tonight in the Twin Cities. Be very careful. Stay warm. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.